I guess we're using this mic then. <clears throat> Good evening. I've been blessed to have this opportunity, and I want to thank the elders and Spencer for allowing me to have this time. And if you don't mind, I'd like to start in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the blessing you've given us to come, be a part of this family, to be able to open up your word, to listen to it, to learn from it, and to grow from it. Lord, I pray that you'll be with me while I give this lesson and that you'll allow me to give a lesson that is pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Is it working? Okay. You're right. Indeed, it takes a professional. You know, I have never had good luck with mics. Never. They just want to fight with me. It's weird. I love technology, but they just don't seem to like me. <clears throat> so we read earlier, uh, I wanted to have that verse, verses 7 through 11. By the way, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3 tonight. Uh, if you want to go ahead and be turning there, we'll be dealing with verses 12 through 21. But I wanted to read verses 7 through 11 before we begin because it really does set the tone for Paul's feeling in this chapter of his mentality. Because Philippians is meant to be a letter of unification and edification for Christians. It's supposed to be a letter to the church of Philippi that during his imprisonment, is a little bit worried about how the gospel will be spread. And this is him trying to encourage them, trying to give them, trying to give them a foundation really for their faith when they go out and preach the word. And during this, Paul starts off verses seven through 11 and the early parts of chapter one by giving his resume. He says, you know what, as a Jew, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, I'm a son of a Pharisee, I have everything that a Jew could possibly desire. When it comes to zeal, I persecuted the church. But he says, all of that was nothing. All of that was nothing but rubbish compared to the salvation that I have in Christ Jesus. Isn't that a wonderful thought? I mean, to know that we have a joy, that we have a salvation that is granted to us, that was so much to where Paul changed his whole life seeking towards it, so much so to where he uses the words, he uses the words, that by any means possible, I may obtain the resurrection. There's something that Spencer's been speaking about quite a bit that I've really enjoyed in his lesson, and that's the intentionality of our faith. The fact that there needs to be a strive and a desire for it. And we're going to look a little bit into that tonight. But I want to paint you a picture. I want to paint you a little illustration before we get in. Uh, I don't know how many of y'all also like this, but I love fail compilations. I love watching people mess up, especially professional athletes. I mean, you see, uh, you see an NBA player go up for a dunk and he just bounces off someone. Or in baseball, when they swing a bat and the ball ricochets off the bat and gets stuck in the catcher's mask. Something about that's comedic to me. But one of my favorite ones uh, I actually saw while I was working on this lesson 
was a football clip. It was NFL, there were two teams lined up. The quarterback gets ready for the hike. He hikes it back. He sees a player about five yards down the field and he tosses it to him. And let me tell you, there was a fire in this guy's eyes. He grabbed the ball. He looked immediately at the end zone. He saw his goal and he ran. I'm not that quick of a fellow, but this guy was leaving people in the dust. And he was flying past them. So much so to where people weren't even around him. He got to 30, and then to the 20, and then to 15, and then to 10. And when he got to 10, so full of himself, so realizing of his accomplishment, he opened up his arms like this to cheer on the crowd, and he slowed down. And right as he did that, an opposing player grabbed the ball from his hands, almost like it was being handed to him, and ran the other way. I, that was so funny to me because afterwards he threw his helmet around and you could tell he was frustrated. But part of me kind of thought, isn't this the way we sometimes handle our faith? When we first get a hold of it, we see our end goal, we see our desire, we see where we're going and that reward that's coming for us and we dart off. But aren't there times where we sometimes, even just for a second, lose track of where we're going, lose track of what our mission is supposed to be, and in that one second, fall. With that on our minds, let's read verses 12. 12 through 14, I believe, as well, be ring right now. Not that I have already attained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind me and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Here's the first lesson Paul is trying to teach you. He was trying to tell you that you can't do it on your own. There are a lot of times we feel like we can. There are a lot of times we can feel very assured of ourselves and feel like we've got things under control. But he's saying the blessing is that we can't. And the blessing of that also is that we can know that we will obtain it because not through our own deeds, but through Christ who has made us his own. That's a wonderful thought. I mean, here is Paul as a Jew who had his resume, who had his recommendation, who had his thoughts, and by many people's thoughts could claim righteousness. But he humbled himself to understand where his point was, and he saw his goal. And similar to the runner, he didn't worry about what lied before him. He saw his sight in front of him. He saw his goal of heaven the joy that he had in his salvation, and he ran straight towards it. I don't know if you've ever watched a sprinter get ready for his race, but when he gets down with his competitors, he doesn't look at his opponents. He doesn't even look behind him if he's ahead of anyone. No, he gets down on his mark, he looks at the ground, and then the moment that he is ready, he looks up towards the goal and his eyes don't move his eyes don't change. 
And he's trying to make a point here that there are things that we need to leave behind us. And those two things really fall into two categories. The first is the temptations of this world that we have. The things that keep us from God, whether it's our technology or certain people that try to dissuade us or lust or any sin sin or temptation we deal with, we need to place that behind us. To not even let it be within our sight, but to look towards the goal that we are so joyful and we should be joyful to have. I think also the second part when I was doing a study and kind of thinking about this is also our regret. There are a lot of times that we hear the word forgiveness, but the last thing we do is truly forgive ourselves. And one of the things about fully straying towards God is knowing that when you pray to him, that when you know that he has heard you and you've been forgiven, that you place that behind you. So that like a runner who has a parachute on, you're not being held back when you're trying to run forward. But you've got your sight on what you're truly going after. Verses 15, 16, and 17. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, imitate, sorry, brothers, join in imitating me And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. There is a common phrase he'll use, especially in some of the other letters, which was the idea of whether you are still drinking milk or eating meat. And at this time, he's saying, those who are drinking spiritual meat, keep in this mindset. Be unified in your goal whether it is as a church or as a Christian, be unified in the idea of your goal as heaven and do not look back. He's saying for those who do not understand, the ones who still are on spiritual meat, it will be revealed to you. I think one of the blessings about God's word is anyone can open up God's word and see his love, can see his teaching, and with time and with understanding and with patience, can come to know the God that each and every one of us know. He's saying, let them be unified. And not just be unified in that, but there's an emphasis on the Greek word there for only. It says, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Let us let go of the things that we're struggling with. Let Let us not hold on to false teachings and to distractions from God, but rather let us hold true to what we have obtained, which is salvation and joy in Christ Jesus. He he also said, brothers, join in imitating me. Paul loves to use the phrase, imitate me as I am an imitator of Christ. And I think he's trying to teach an application to the church here that for your spiritual walk, If you need to, here is you, imitate me because I am following Christ. For us today, I think if we were making modern application, it would be us, find a spiritual leader, follow them as they are following Christ. And he gives a warning to false teachers as well, and this is something that I think we need to be understanding of as well, that the person that we're running in front, say there is a runner, to use that analogy again, 
if there's a runner in front of us, we need to make sure that they're running towards the goal so we don't end up like a funny clip ourselves and have the person we're following going off to the left or to the right. But he's saying, find yourself someone to rely on. He uses this phrase also in Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, therefore brothers, encourage one another. Build each other up just as you were doing. Or the common phrase that we hear as iron sharpens, sharpens iron, so we sharpen one another. It's this idea of being able to rely to grow spiritually in one another. As we stay unified in God's word, not looking back, but going forward. But he goes on to address the false teachers. And this is a very prevalent topic because at this time there was a group essentially following Paul wherever he went. Whenever he would leave a town, they would come in after him and to try to dissuade the people from listening to him, saying that they have a higher authority. This group by scholars was often called the Judaizers and they're whole focus was coming into new Gentile Christians and saying, yes, you're a Christian, but to obtain that full Christianity, that full faith, you have to hold to the new and the old law. They want them to hold to Jewish tradition. And he's trying to tell them that the old tradition got him nowhere. That the old law that we would be dead to, now there is a greater joy in Christ Jesus that comes through faith in him. So he says in verse 18, for many of whom have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ, saying that there are people that are even familiar to him, that once were walking that way, that are walking away, that are walking against it. But he goes on to tell them of the result of this. Not just the result, but also the, their motive and what we should be looking for as Christians. He says, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And the interesting part about here is belly is often tied to a Jewish tradition of eating and can also be related to desires. Saying that their God is their own desires. He says, and they glory in their shame with mindsets on earthly things. They glory in their shame. They boast in their shamefulness. They take pride in their sin. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of modern applications I can make to today. There are plenty of people out there that will justify their sin and be proud of it. He's saying that they will focus themselves on earthly things. I mean, we know this not to be true because rather than storing up our treasures on earth, we should be storing up our treasures in heaven. Rather than looking below, we should be looking above and most of all, what we hear so commonly, we should seek the kingdom of God first. Not, not second, not third, but first. And I think that if you are straining for that goal and if you are looking for it, if you are reaching out, not looking behind you, that will be your priority. But he goes on to reassure us of why we shouldn't follow by this same reasoning. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. 
And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, and by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. There is a clear understanding, not just of where our citizenship should be, but also why we follow Christ. Because no other person is our savior, and no other person has the authority, all authority and all power, to subject people to himself. This is such a beautiful thought to me, because Paul, in this whole entire passage, is trying to say, we can't do this alone, but we don't have to. This is a wonderful thing. We have Christ, who, in the words of Hebrews, is a propitiation for our sins, or a mediator for us at the right hand of God. To know that we have such a joyous salvation that isn't done by works, but through obedience we do good works in his name. To know that we are only called to seek God first, to not worry about the things of this world, to not worry about the sin that we've had, but to seek him purely and holy. I want to leave just with one last story. I thought about this while I was working on this lesson. I was lucky enough to spend a week here when I came to interview to get to know the family here and to spend my time. And during that time, I even got to spend uh, a few days going out and doing visitation with, uh, with Spencer. And I got to meet Mr. Bill, and he is, he is such a card. I enjoyed that. And I also got to go meet Mr. Ken Young. I remember we walked over to his house, and he was getting ready to be transferred into hospice care. We walked into his house. Spencer walked up to him and said hello. He pulled me over, and he said, this is Aaron Bell. This is a new minister and possibly our new intern. Are there any words of advice or encouragement that you could give a young man who's starting his ministry from an older minister who's wise and has experience? You know, Mr. Mr. Ken didn't get to say much. He actually only got to say two words before they transitioned him out of the house. But he looked at me, he looked at Spencer, and then he looked back at me, and he said, work hard, work hard. Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? not worrying about the things of this world because these things like Paul has mentioned and like we read many times through scripture will one day pass away and we will have a greater life in heaven with our father so as we as we go I just want to leave with you this one question are you working hard let's think about that as we stand and sing would you live for Jesus and be always pure and good? Would you walk with him within the narrow road? Would you have